This morning, we are continuing our series. We're in week four of the Hero Series, Heroes in the Making. Pretty cool. Now, just so you know, I am not just trying to be thrifty with my nifty uh, cup here. Has anybody watched the latest Avengers movie? For Father's Day, my kiddos got me a cup and my wife. She'll be mad at me if I don't include her. Uh, we Love You 3000. Anybody know that reference? It's like the part that makes you cry at the end of the movie. Yeah, okay. Anyways, so since nobody knows, we'll just pray about that one. All right. What we're going to talk about is your present does not limit your possibilities because your origin story is not finished. What I can tell you is we can recap real quick the last three weeks. It's been really cool. Pastor David, in week one, talked about Esther. Our primary verse for this series is... And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this, in Esther 4.14. It's been a great verse because it talks about timing. It talks about somebody that came from basically a enslaved nation and rose to power so that she could save her people. She wouldn't have thought that she was anything special. In week two, our origin does not determine our destination. That's Joseph, right? He was a young kid, good-looking man. But he thought a lot of himself. He could, he could sense dreams and, and interpret them, hit a lot of gifts, so his brothers hated him, and they sold him into slavery. Week three, we went over Joseph some more because there's so much content there. How I respond to my defining moment will define my future. Esther and two weeks of Joseph. Amazing stories that we could take and relate things directly to our lives. So what's our origin story? What's my origin story? I can go over it a little bit. My childhood was a good childhood. I had two parents that loved me and loved Jesus. What more could you ask? But even in the most ideal settings, there's tumultuous times, right? There are things that shaped me as I grew. When I became, uh, I was like 12 years old, I really started to walk away from faith. By the time I was 15, I was stealing and doing a bunch of stuff I shouldn't have been doing, skipping school. And God just got my attention. Can't even explain it. I asked somebody else to take me to church. It doesn't even make sense. But I did. And I accepted Christ. My life completely changed. Maybe not my grades, but my life changed. I was a much better person to be around, but I was still lazy and a procrastinator. God worked on that later through marriage. But God worked on me, and he had patience with me. Next thing you know, I, I go to a, uh, a semester of college. I have to come back, deal with some family situations. I get married at 18, best decision of my life. She paid me. Um, no, she did. She really is the best decision outside of following Jesus. But I get married at 18. My wife is 19. Things weren't always easy. All of our friends from church disowned us. I, it, there's no better way to put it. We had people that refused to go to our wedding. These were supposed to be Christian friends. Go about 10 years later, all of a sudden I'm a youth pastor to church. I have no experience. I don't know what I'm doing. The pastor there is a mentor. He's a spiritual father to me. And a couple years later, he tells me, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. This isn't a sob story. This is everybody's story. We've had people that love us, that look at us and say, you know what, you're not good enough anymore. 
You know what, I'm sorry, I invested all this time into you, and it, it, and it really was a waste of my time. It's, it's tough. But you know what, we're not defined by the people that we think we're defined by. We're defined by the fact that God puts us in positions that we need to grow. I've been hurt more in the church than outside of the church, hands down. That is not something to say. I, it sounds like I'm saying, please walk out that door. That's not what I'm saying. Broken people are in the church. My origin story is filled with things that would make most people walk away, and yet God kept calling me because he showed me that the church, the local church, as broken as people are, is the hope of the world. It is the hope of the world, but we also need to understand that we have a responsibility then to be better. We have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. I know that I've hurt people. I'm not putting that on other people. I've done the same thing because I'm broken too. So my origin story is different than maybe your origin story, but there may be similarities that you see. But do you ever look at your origin story? That's what this series is about. Our key point, like I said, your present does not limit your possibilities because your origin story is not finished. What I want you to know is I'm 38. That's not what I wanted you to know. I mean the next part. I'm 38, and my origin story isn't finished. You may be 58 or 68 or 78 or 18. Your origin story is not finished. Ask somebody who has great-grandchildren, and they'll tell you that their grandparenting years made them ready to be grandparents, which made them ready to be a patriarch or a matriarch to an entire family. Their parenting invited them to a new place. Your college years invite you to be an adult. Every area of your life is an origin story. Don't think that God's done with you yet. We had a definition of hero, a person who is admired or idealized for courage, outstanding achievements, or nobles, noble qualities. That's a good definition. That's a good definition because we look at superheroes a lot of times and we see that they have these fantastic talents. But I like this definition because we realize it's ordinary people doing incredible things. Esther was beautiful, right? Someone probably would have said, man, that girl is hot. <laughs> Quick story, Elisha, my son, the oldest. Yes, you. He was... Really, what was he, six or seven? And he looked at a girl that was about 16. He goes, you're hot. And my wife about freaked out. She was like, where does he even, he's objectifying women already. He's going down the wrong path. What is wrong with him? And I looked at her and I say, I say you're hot almost every day. He's emulating me. And she's like, oh yeah, okay, never mind. She high-fived him. It's like... <laughs> Depends how you use it. But Esther was gorgeous. Gorgeous enough that out of an entire nation, she was picked out to be the queen. Joseph was handsome. So handsome, he was distinguished wherever he went, not just because of his looks, but because he was brilliant. Because he had faith and he was able to interpret dreams. I have a dream and I don't even want to remember it, otherwise interpret it. I'm like, what do Burger King fries have to do with anything? 
I don't even like Burger King, and they're in my dream. I don't get it. I don't want to remember. And he's over here, like, praying and finding out that there's drafts. Uh, draft. I don't know where I got a military reference from. But <laughs> there's drought. That's what I meant to say. He's going directly to the king. He has gifts. He has abilities. He's good looking. He's got all this stuff from birth. And we say, where do I fit into that? Well, there's a lot of good, good looking people in here. I didn't mean it like that. But I'm just saying, am I going to step on stage and people are going to be like, whoo, he should marry a queen? Probably not. I already married my queen. But that's not the point. What I'm saying is, is that we see people with innate abilities, Olympics, NBA, Football, I'm a guy, so I think about sports. Celine Dion, singing, whatever it is. They have these innate abilities that were God-given from birth, and we say, I could do so much if I had that. But Elisha's story is a little bit different. Elisha, and I should clarify this, because I always think of Elisha. There's an Elijah, and there's an Elisha. I'm going to try to remember call Elijah Eli because he's in the story, must have really confused people back in the day. Elisha is the one we're going to be talking about most. But he's a normal guy with a normal job that winds up doing incredible things. Your present does not limit your possibilities because your origin story is not finished. But in order to get to Elisha, we have to talk about Eli. Elijah. Jah. Okay. I almost called him Jay, and my wife was like, that's ridiculous. So Eli. Eli's backstory, or Eli's story for Elisha actually starts in 1 Kings 17 through 19. Now, for reference, Elisha's ministry is from 2 Kings 2 through 8-something. That probably makes no sense to you guys, but if you open your Bible, you'll see. But it actually starts a whole book back where God starts to call Elisha. Now what happens in 1 Kings chapter 17, I'm just gonna tell you the story because it's a lot. And I can tell you, I wanna preface this real quick. Elisha, I knew his name was gonna be Elisha when I was 16 and I first heard a message about Elisha. I'm 38 now. 22 years in the making is this message. I am trying to stay focused. But if I seem a little crazy, bear with me because I was so excited about speaking this message. There is so much meat in it that goes directly to us because there's so much of about it that, re, that, re, that relies on God, not on us. So, Elijah, Eli, in 17, announces that there's going to be a drought that's going to be several years. And Eli, he's the man, right? Biblically, he's the dude. He comes out and tells an entire nation, you guys are fouling out. There's going to be a drought. And you know what? It's not going to end until I say so. Paraphrasing, but that's what he said. So then there's this drought, and it comes and affects the people, and the king is upset, and they're looking and trying to kill him, and he's like, God's got my back, I'm okay. Finally, God tells Elijah, Eli that it's time. So Eli goes to the king, and he tells him, get all your prophets of Baal. That's a bad God. We don't like him. False God. Get all your prophets, 450 of them, and have them meet me outside. My kind of dude, right? 
I love Pastor David's preaching because he's like Paul. He's the, the philosopher. He brings great messages with great content, and I love it. I'm more of a Peter. Let's go fight him outside. Please don't take that as advice. Please don't fight anybody outside. I'm just saying, I love battles. I love fights. And I know Pastor David does too. That's his namesake. But I'm just saying, like, this is what gets me going. In worship, when I hear songs that God wants to break down walls and climb mountains, I'm not back there thinking, oh, God's in this little suit. And he's like, knock down walls. Climb mountains. I'm like, God's like, God wants you so bad. Let's not make these fairy tales. Let's see what God's really doing in our lives. And Eli says, get them all, because my God can take them all on. He gets them all out. The king brings them out, because the king, Ahab, thinks, you know what? We'll show him, and then I can kill this guy. They start to build altars, and they're crying out to Baal, over and over again, and nothing's happening. So much so that Eli decides to taunt them. And he's like, maybe he's asleep. Well, I don't know, maybe he's on the phone. Well, they didn't have phones back then, but that's basically what he was saying. Bet you got a Galaxy instead of an iPhone. Whatever. <laughs> Let's not even get on the argument. Sorry, I distracted everybody. But, <laughs> I distracted myself. So, they're going all day. Eventually, they become so frantic that they start cutting themselves. It's not that these false prophets didn't believe what they believed. They just bought into a lie. Finally, when they admit defeat, Eli says, all right, we're going to make one altar. But we're in a drought. There's no water to be found. But you know what? What little water we have, let's soak it. So that way you can't say that I lit a match. There was no matches, but whatever. You know what I'm saying. There's no trickery involved. It's soaking wet. This can only be God. They said that there was so much water, it actually started to fill a trough inside. And he says, God, show that your real fire comes down, blows it up. It's the first action adventure in the Bible, I think. Maybe not. There's a lot of others. And you know what? God was shown, proven that day, how much faith would you gain in that moment? And it sounds like I'm just going to talk about victory. That's not actually what I'm bringing up. The very next verses, Jezebel, who is the queen, sends a message to him and says, by this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. This guy that took on 450 prophets runs scared. First of all, not that you guys want to be a Jezebel, but let me tell you ladies something real quick. You are more powerful in your finger than you have any idea. Women are powerful. God created you with authority and with strength. Please don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But don't be Jezebel. That's not what I'm saying. There's what, be Esther. She's powerful. So Elijah runs he runs so far, he tells his servant, just stay here because I'm basically dead. He goes a day into the wilderness by himself. He finally stops at a broom bush. I don't even know what that is. I don't know if they make brooms out of it. I wanted to look up a picture and I forgot, but it sounds really cool. I want one in my yard. He stops for shade at a broom bush. And the first thing he says is, God, 
Take my life, I'm done. Quick side note, a passion of mine. Don't tell me that if you're doing everything for God, you cannot deal with struggles with mental health. I'm sorry. People with depression, anxiety, other things know that God is not against you because you struggle in your mind, okay? Elijah, the most powerful prophet in all the world at his time, dealt with the struggles of wanting his life to be over. Let us be the hope for every person that struggles the same. But Elijah's ready to die. He says, God, take me. I'm the only one. From that, an angel comes and takes care of him. He winds up walking 40 days and 40 nights to get to the mountain of God, Horeb. He goes in a cave. You may have heard the story. You may not. You want to check it out. It's a really cool story. There's earthquakes and wind and fire, and God's not in any of them. You know how God came to him? In a whisper. And in that whisper, he not only encourages him, but he also rebukes his lack of faith. But he does it in a way that a parent does it to encourage their child to move forward. And he says in there, go get Elisha to be your successor. In the midst of turmoil and pain and struggle, he gets called to call another not only does he get encouraged to do greater things and more, but he's also going to start to bring out somebody else. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 16, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat. I hope I said that right. He might be offended. From Abel Mahola. That sounds Hawaiian. Anyways, to succeed you as prophet... Point number one, you are called even if you don't know it yet. You are called even if you don't know it yet. His calling went to Eli, but it was about Elisha. We'll see that Elisha had no idea that God had already called him to great things. Chapter 19, verse 19, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Woo. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now, Elisha was working the field. Working the field, it, the, boy, the Bible makes a point to say he was driving the 12th pair. He didn't have enough, he, he was a man of means, but he didn't have enough to pay somebody else to do it. So, Pretty sure speed stick wasn't around then. Degree, any kind of antiperspirant. He's out there. He's a big, strong guy dealing with big, giant oxen. He's telling them where to go. But he's sweating. He's a big beard, probably. He doesn't have Timberlands or Uggs or whatever kind of boots you prefer. He's probably got sandals. Do you know what oxen do when they're working? They don't say, excuse me, I want to go to the bathroom. This was not a nice occupation. He's a hard worker, normal guy. He's not out at the forefront interpreting dreams. He's not putting on makeup and getting dolled up to go whatever. He's a hard-working, normal guy. And Elijah comes up to him and throws his cloak on him. Here's the weird thing. Elisha, Eli, throws his cloak on him. He just bounces. He just starts walking. 
If I'm working the field and some strange guy I don't know takes his cloak, throws it on me, that's weird. I'm going to, like, get that thing off me as soon as I can, see if there's, like, cockroaches on it or something. Like, that's just weird to me. But it's amazing when you do weird things for God, it never has the outcome that we think it's going to have. If God told me, take your button-up shirt. You got an undershirt, Chris. It's okay. Go and throw it on somebody and walk away. I'd be like, God, can you get me a doctor that can give me the right medication to make me not hear what I just heard? Because that is just strange. But he does it. You are called even when you don't know it. He, Elijah didn't know, and yet all of a sudden, this big, strong guy gets a cloak on him, and Elijah just walks away. But Elisha's response is different than what would have been my response. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. At this point, if I'm Eli, I'm thinking this dude's about to hit me. But Elisha says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. And then I will come with you. Eli says, go back. What have I done to you? I need a whole lot more explanation than that. But there's a thing about the Holy Spirit when he's at work, you just know sometimes. There's no extra explanation needed. Eli started walking, and Elisha had to stop his oxen and run after him. And point number two is, when you are called, run, don't walk. Everybody else might think you're crazy. Everybody else might think you're crazy. But if it's what you need to do, it's what you need to do. God will show up in the end. Now, there's a parallel story here in the New Testament with a completely different outcome, and it's the first thing I thought about when I read this. In Luke chapter 9, verse 61 to 62, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and look, looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What is the difference? Elisha's actually going back to physically put his hand on a plow. This guy just wants to go say goodbye to his family. Here's the difference. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Point number three, there are some things we must destroy in order to move forward. This one was a hard one for me. I wrote down destroy, and I was like, man, that is a rough word. So I started thinking, there's things we have to let go. And I wrote down, like, there's things that we need to move away from. But you know what? The only thing that fit was destroy. Because so many of us have baggage that we need to destroy. It's not just baggage. Sometimes it's a good thing, right? This was Elisha's way of, of handling his responsibilities. But it was keeping him from the best. He couldn't say, I'll leave it here. Somebody take care of it for me. So when I, in case plan A doesn't work, I have plan B to go back to. Sometimes you just got to let it go. 
Sometimes you got to destroy it. Sometimes it is a bad thing. Sometimes it's family history. Sometimes it's something that somebody told you. Sometimes it's a mentor that looked at you and said, you're not good enough. And sometimes it's just you. When you look in the mirror, you got to let go of the fact that you didn't create yourself, and the one who created you doesn't create junk. So you know what? Don't listen to the lie anymore when you look in the mirror. I got to say this. Forgive me. I'm so excited about speaking about Elijah. My brain's a little bit. But I got in a conversation this week with a couple younger ladies at my work. And we started talking about, and there's nothing wrong if you dye your hair, if you, whatever makes you feel better and, and move, that is fine. But we got into a discussion about age versus beauty and whether they should even be related. And I realized in this conversation, these 21, 22, 25-year-old girls are looking at life that when they turn 35, 40, they're not going to be as beautiful as what they were at 21 and 22. And I'm like, my wife is more beautiful to me at 39 than any of you people. She's even more beautiful to me now than she was when I first met her. What you look at in the mirror tends to be the reflection of culture talking back to you. And I can tell you that's not the way God sees you. And if you're around people that say otherwise, walk away. Soapbox done. Sorry. Click. Go back to the message. There are some things that we must destroy to move forward. It may be baggage, it may be a past, and it may even be some good things. Elisha wasn't destroying bad oxen. It's not like he was like, bad, right? They were good oxen, but it was what was going to hold him back. But he didn't just let it go and like, hey, hey guys, go for the hills. He took care of the people that were around him before he left. He fed them, and he gave it up to God. Sometimes we have so many responsibilities, and they seem like good responsibilities, but some of them we just need to let go. But point number four, Elisha was a man of means. He was a leader. He was a worker, but it says he went to be Eli's servant. Point number four, be ready to serve before you lead. Your direct path to leadership in your calling with God will always follow a path that goes directly through servanthood because when you lead, that's when you're at your greatest level of service. So how can you ever run before you crawl? Don't sit here and say, I have a gift to speak or I have a gift to lead or I can do spreadsheets and I can do this and I can tell you exactly the way things should run before you're willing to say, wait a minute, but how do you do it so I can be better? How can I show up? How can I work and volunteer? Where can I do it? It doesn't have to be here. It could be at a food storage or a food supply. It could be at a soup kitchen. It could be with kids in the back, or in the school, at an after-school program. Whatever it is that burdens your heart, go and serve somewhere first. And if you don't know where that is, serve at work. Be the first one to do a little bit extra for somebody else, just to love on them. There's ways that we can serve, but leadership always comes after servanthood. Elijah said to Elijah, stay here. Ooh, this is the good part. Be ready to serve before you leave. Elisha follows Eli 
all the way until the day that he leaves this earth. And Elijah and Elisha are walking together. Eli says to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. We're talk- we just talked about servanthood. Usually that means that you listen to the person that's your mentor, right? But Elisha defies this objective. He says, no, no, no. Mm-mm. Not anymore, Eli. I'm sticking with you whether you like it or not. Why is this change in attitude? Next verse, the company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Elisha said, I, yes, I know, so be quiet. I love that part. I'm sure it was more like, you know what, why don't you just shut up already? Forgive me if you're offended by that. It's just the way that I hear it. Point number five, know the moment and be faithful. I'm going to recap all this. I know I'm going through it a little bit quick, but there's so much content. I'm telling you, I could have went for four hours, and I'm trying to condense it down to like 30 minutes. And there's so much, so I'll recap. But know that you have to know the moment. You can always tell when that one person walks in a room, and they have no idea what the moment, they have no social awareness, right? Anybody know somebody like that? You can raise your hands. Come on, just don't look at anybody. Everybody raise your hands just to make me feel better. Good, thank you so much. We know that person. They walk into a room and it's really quiet. Somebody's crying in the corner and they come in and they're like, hey, everybody, what's hanging? What's she so upset about? That is not the way you walk into a room when that's happening. And you also have the other end, right? You have the person that comes in, everybody's laughing, and they're like, yeah, you, well, that's awesome, you're having a great day, but mine's awful. They did not read the room. That does not go over well. Know the moment. Know the moment. Keep your ear to the ground, so to speak. Or better yet, keep your ear to the heavens. If you're not taking time to pray, I'm not saying that you have to read the Bible for an hour every day. Although that would be great. I don't do it. I got three boys, 12, 14, and 16. I can barely go to the bathroom and take a shower for five minutes before the door's being knocked on. So I don't have all this time that people say, like Benjamin Franklin, I wake up at 5.30 in the morning. No, I crawl out of bed a half hour before I need to leave. But throughout the day, I make sure that I try to read at least a verse or go, I try to take a moment. Am I perfect? No. But take a moment to keep your ear to heaven so you can know the moment. Elisha knew that the time he had was minimal. He wanted to soak up every moment with his mentor. This same situation happened three different times. Eli says, stay. Elisha says, no. Some doofuses come up and say, oh, they're prophets. Sorry, Lord. But anyways, these guys come up and say, hey, you know he's leaving. And Elisha's like, really? You? Two? Really? This hurts. It hurts that he knows that Eli's leaving. He doesn't want to hear it. He tells him to be quiet. This wasn't easy. He wasn't saying, yes, hurry up and leave so I can take my mantle. He's saying, no, I don't want this. But then Eli looks at Elisha. When they had crossed, Eli Eli said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. 
I don't know what my voice just did, but whatever. Tell me what I could do before I'm taken away from you. Elisha's response is the reason why I called my firstborn Elisha. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Point number six, be bold. You know, it's one thing to ask somebody for what they have, but then to ask them for something they don't have. For Elijah to give Elisha a double portion of the anointing God had in his life, that wasn't up to Eli. But Elisha says, Man, I want to do even greater things, not so I'm glorified, but so God is glorified. False modesty has never been impressive to God. Oh, I just, it's, oh, it's just been enough to be near you. Oh, I'm so glad that I was your friend. I'm so excited, but I'm hurting that you're gone. That wasn't Elisha's posture, nor was what he said. False modesty is not impressive to God. Asking big things from God, for God, to do great things with God is truly a form of worship. Asking big things from God, for God. And here's the key for me. To do great things with God is truly a form of worship. God never wants us to do things only for him. He's saying, no, I'm here. I'll do it with you. Amen. And you know what? We're talking about great things. I'm, we're gonna, we could talk about all day about waters being parted and people being healed and all this other stuff. But you know what's a great thing? Being a good dad. And I fall short all the time. Every day. You can ask my boys how many times a week I probably apologize to them for falling short. But being a hero is when you're a hero at home. Don't think that you're not doing great things. I just saw a post from like an eight-year-old girl who had to tell her father, man, I was crying all night because you said you failed. That is not an eight-year-old's responsibility. But that father isn't failing because that eight-year-old loves him enough to care and to weep for him. Do we get the fact that even though we don't feel like we're doing great things, God's doing great things through us even when we don't see it? When you don't know that you're called, but you are called, God continues to do his work in you even when you don't see it happening. But years later, you look back and somebody says, you know what? Man, I admired you in that moment. I remember being, I think I may have even said this before, forgive me if I did, but I remember my car being broke down. We barely had any money, and a guy pulls up, and it's a guy from my school, from my high school. It's like 10 years after I graduated. I don't have money to fix my car. I'm stressing out, and he pulls up, and he drives me all the way from 283 Mannheim all the way to Strasburg. And you know what he wanted to talk to me about? He said, Chris... Yeah, you got in school suspension a lot. Yeah, you got detention. Yeah, the teachers didn't necessarily like you. They never really forgave you for all the junk you did before you accepted Jesus. But all I could think about after I graduated was that I wasn't more like you. This kid was a great example of God in school. I was just louder. But I had no idea God was doing stuff in me, even though I really wasn't worth it. But I was. 
Because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, and I get my worth from him. But so do you. God's doing things in you, even though you don't think that you're conquering mountains. This is where faithfulness comes in. Verse 10, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taking from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. Elijah loved Elijah. When Eli, when Eli leaves this earth, Elisha cries out and tears his clothing because he was so hurt. The Bible says he actually took his clothing and tore it in two. But then Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Have any of you ever prayed a prayer like that? God, where are you now? I'm hurt. And I don't see you showing up. But the difference is, Elisha doesn't stop there. He picks up the cloak. What does the cloak mean to him? It means his calling. It means his anointing. It means the things that he remembers that God has done for him, the things that he's seen. He picks that up, and what happens next is incredible. He struck the water. It divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Now, what I didn't read to you was before, right before Elijah asked Elisha, what can I do for you? Elijah had just done the same thing. He goes back to the last miracle in his life and he remembers. He says, God, where are you? And he takes that cloak and he hits the ground and you know what? The waters part. Point number seven, God gives you what you need to part the waters of your life. You may feel like you're drowning, but I'm telling you, if you hold on, there's a great thing that happens in this, in this whole section here. When Elijah, when Eli is at the point where he's ready to die, he says, I'm the only one. And when God says, go anoint Elisha to take, to take over for you, he'll be your predecessor. He'll be your mentee. Then God immediately says, there's 7,000 others that have not bowed to Baal. So many times when we feel like we're alone, I'm telling you, you're not. You just need to open your eyes. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is that you're going through it by yourself. But I'm telling you, if you're going through it by yourself, it's by choice. It doesn't mean that you haven't been hurt. When that stuff happened that I talked about earlier that was part of my origin story, it was a year before I became faithful to church again. We would go and we'd attend. But that's not me. I know what it's like to hurt and to feel like you're alone, feel like nobody's there. But I can tell you, I have seen so many people, so many people that proved the lies were wrong because they're incredible people that show me love every time I see them. That's available to you in community and in faith. But we have to be willing to accept it because sometimes we just don't feel like we're worth it. And it's usually because we were told we weren't. You don't have to worry about making it happen. God will give you what you need. Elisha didn't need the cloak, but it was representative of his calling. 
Sometimes you just need to look at what God's done in the past and remember that he's faithful. Our key point for today, as we start to bring everything together, your present does not limit your possibilities because your origin story is not finished. These seven points I went over to show you, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, God is not done. You continue to go through this cycle where God makes you even more capable of what's to come. Shannon was, was listening to something last night while I was going over my notes, and she stops and she says, i got to tell you this. She's looking at this documentary, and there's a seven-year-old with Tourette's. And he says, Tourette's is feeling like everybody knows you, but they're wrong. Everybody makes an assumption about you, but you're wrong. How does a seven-year-old have the mental understanding to even come up with the wisdom that's in those small statements? It's because struggle brings wisdom. Struggle brings perception. You ever been talking to somebody and they're telling you something that they're saying is the end of the world and you're like, it's a hangnail. Get over it. But then when you complain about not being able to pay your rent on time, the person that's been through homelessness, been through drug addiction, their parents have died and they're looking at you like, dude, it's just a place to live. And then you talk to that person, and that person's complaining about their drug addiction. And then they talk to some World War II vet that knew what it was like to be in a concentration camp. And they're like, dude. And it's like, Chris, man, you're talking about some really deep, dark stuff. I'm not saying that I hope anybody gets to the level of despair that we're talking about. What I'm saying is our perception is only made clear when we keep our eyes to the throne. It puts everything in perspective when we know God is bigger than it all. When we feel like we are the most worthless, sometimes that's when God makes us the most ready. Point number one, you are called even if you don't know it yet. Point number two, when you are called, run, don't walk. Point number three, there are some things we must destroy. Four, be ready to serve before you leave. Five, know the moment and be faithful. Six, be bold. And seven, God gives you what you need to part the waters. Life, church, it's time. It's time. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today. God, we come to you to say we love you. Whatever each and every one of us is going through, God, you know that story. I pray that we can be a light to those that are in this room that are struggling, to those that are out of this room in Hershey, Harrisburg, Lancaster, where we work, where we play, where we eat. Lord, we could be a light, but to those that are struggling, may we know that you are Abba Father. You are Daddy you're not limited by our fathers here on earth. You are incredible. You're not just our father, though, Lord. For those of us that don't have a mom, you're a mother. You love us, and you fill the gaps where we feel like we're so broken and there's nothing left. For those of us that struggle in our minds, which is the greatest prison of all time, I pray that you break those chains. For those of us that are stuck in the lie that 
our story's done. There's nothing left, left for us to do. I pray that this message gets sunk into their hearts so deep by, the, by the, the, just the love of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you show them that they're not done, that we can get pumped up for tomorrow because Monday is not the end of Sunday. Monday is the start of the ministry you want to do in our lives. And God, for those that are in this room that may not be completely on board, knowing that they don't, they're not quite sure, they're questioning faith, I pray that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you remind them of how much you love them. For anybody that's been judged and hurt by people in the church, I pray that you would show that you have no part in that, but Lord, you show them that there's even greater. Because if there's broken people in the church, then there's room for one more. No matter how much we've done in our past, no matter how much we've hurt or been hurt, God, you're saying there's another seat. That your love is limitless. Your love is limitless. Set a fire down in our soul that we can't contain, that we can't control. We want more of you, God. May that be our heart's desire. May everybody be blessed this week in a way that blows their minds. In your holy, wonderful name, Lord, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.